This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, two trains collided in central Greece, one freight train and a passenger train carrying more than 300 people. At least 36 people perished and over 80 were injured. We have the details. The number of official agencies saying the COVID pandemic probably came from a lab leak is growing. Now the head of the FBI is weighing in. Find out what he said. Threats posed to the free world from the Chinese Communist Party. What can be done about it? A select house subcommittee sat down yesterday for the first time to address just that. Chicago's Mayor Lori Lightfoot will not be getting a second term. Results from the election yesterday are in, but no candidate was able to secure more than 50% of the vote. Find out who's moving on to a runoff in April. And some parents at, at a middle school in Maine are outraged. This reason is something that one of its sixth grade students found. We spoke to the parent. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Evelyn Lee. Good morning. Today's Wednesday, March 1st, and we're starting off the day with some sad news. In Greece last night, two trains collided, killing and injuring dozens. It was a passenger train carrying hundreds of people that collided with the freight train. Nearly 40 people have died and almost 100 were injured. The high-speed collision caused derailment of several train cars. Multiple other cars burst into flames. And today's Kostamines has the story. The collision occurred on Tuesday just before midnight. An intercity passenger train traveling from Athens to the northern city of Thessaloniki collided with a cargo train outside the city of Larissa in central Greece. Rescue crews frantically searched for survivors amidst the smoking wreckage. Local officials reported that the powerful collision derailed the forefront train cars. The first two caught fire and were completely destroyed. According to local media, around 350 people were traveling on the passenger train. About 40 were taken to hospital, more than two dozen with serious injuries. Around 250 of the rescued passengers were taken by bus to Thessaloniki. Survivors said several passengers were thrown through the windows of the train cars due to the impact. We heard a big bang. It was 10 nightmarish seconds. We were turning over in the wagon until we fell on our sides, until the commotion stopped. Then there was panic, cables everywhere, fire. The fire was immediate. As we were turning over, we were being burned. Fire was left and right. Others attempted to free themselves after the passenger train buckled slamming into a field next to the tracks. There was panic for 10, 15 seconds. It was chaos, tumbling over, fires, cables hanging, broken windows, people screaming, people trapped. It was two meters high from where we jumped to leave. And beneath there was broken iron debris. But what could we do? We came down. A fire had erupted next to us. This man here, he saw a hole, so we managed to get out from where we were. It's currently unclear what caused the accident. Two rail officials were taken in for questioning, but have not been detained. The passenger train is operated by an Italian rail transport group that is the main provider for passenger and freight trains in Greece. It runs almost 350 passenger and commercial routes a day. Cost MNS, NTD News.
FBI Director Christopher Wray says a leak from a Chinese lab likely caused the COVID-19 pandemic. That follows a Department of Energy report that concluded the same. Here's Ray on Fox News discussing the investigation. The Chinese government seems to me has been doing its best to try to thwart and obfuscate uh, the work here, the work that we're doing, the work that our U.S. government and, and close foreign partners are doing. Ray says the FBI has assessed that a lab leak was probably the culprit for quite some time now. For other agencies, along with the National Intelligence Panel, still judge that the pandemic was likely the result of a natural transmission. White House National Security Spokesman John Kirby says the U.S. government has not reached a def- definitive conclusion and consensus on the pandemic's origins. Dr. Marty McCary testified before Congress on the topic yesterday. He says it was a no-brainer that COVID came from the Wuhan Institute. He added it was only an issue because the National Institute of Health, or NIH, funded the lab. McCary also mentioned how two leading biologists told Dr. Fauci in January 2020 that COVID was likely from the lab. McCary says both scientists changed their tune just days later in the media. He added that both scientists later received $9 million in funding from the NIH. The NIH maintains that evidence suggests COVID originated naturally. A House Select Committee dedicated to countering the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, held its first hearing yesterday. Testimony outlined threats posed by the communist regime and what can be done in response. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has the summary. The committee's chairman, Representative Mike Gallagher, opened the hearing with a call for action, asking lawmakers to act with urgency. It's not a polite tennis match. This is an existential struggle over what life will look like in the 21st century. And the most fundamental freedoms are at stake. Four witnesses gave testimony. Matthew Pottinger, the former Deputy National Security Advisor, put emphasis on opening people's eyes to how the U.S. has become too complacent. He highlighted concerns about China's influence on technology and censorship and suggested finding ways to help people in China access a free flow of information online. I think you can punch holes in the Great Chinese Firewall. I think we've not made a concerted effort, a public-private effort with Silicon Valley firms uh, leading the way. Retired Army Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster says the U.S. should prioritize expediting delivery of weapons and munitions to Taiwan. He was interrupted by two protesters that yelled and held up signs. Your sign, your sign is upside down. McMaster called the eruptions indicative of the influence the CCP's United Front Work Department has had. They have reinforced to some degree what you might call a bit of a curriculum of self-loathing that has taken hold in academia for many years. They, they, they reinforce, I think, the idea that America is the problem in the world. And only if America disengages, or in this case becomes more passive, uh, that things will get better. The retired general concluded that's why the work of the committee was vitally important. He expects the committee to reveal the aggression of the CCP and what's at stake for Americans, citizens of the free world, and the Chinese people. What kind of world do we wish to live in? Do we wish to live in a fundamentally free world led by the United States? Or do we wish to live in a totalitarian police state led by the Chinese Communist Party. Committee Chair Mike Gallagher outlined why Americans should care about threats posed by the Chinese regime and why it's important to selectively decouple the U.S. and Chinese economies. It's not a distant over there threat, it's a right here at home threat. 
take Chinese spy balloon, CCP police stations on American soil, uh, Chinese students being harassed and physically assaulted on American campuses, um, and then just look at the plight of Hong Kong that I mentioned at the end, which eviscerated the idea of one country, two systems. Gallagher says when he visited Taiwan, leaders repeatedly cited issues of Hong Kong as evidence of threats from the CCP spreading. It's my belief that what happens inside China's borders, what happens even in Xinjiang, won't stay there. That increasingly they're perfecting a model of total techno-totalitarian control that they want to export around the world. Thirteen Republicans and eleven Democrats sit on the committee. It will not write legislation, but draw attention to competition between the U.S. and China and make policy recommendations. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. President Biden is planning to raise some taxes, including ones that target billionaires. This is part of his plan to cut the budget deficit. I want to make it clear, I'm going to raise some taxes. If any of you are billionaires out there, you're going to stop paying at 3%. <laughs> Not a joke. The idea that a billionaire, we used to have 600 or so in the United States of America, now there's 1,000. The idea that they pay at a rate that is lower than the rate of a police officer, a school teacher, a nurse, is bizarre. On March 9th, Biden will be laying down the details of his budget proposal to Congress. He has vowed to cut the budget deficit by $2 trillion over 10 years in the proposal. Biden also promises that the tax hikes will not affect Americans making less than $400,000 a year. That's a promise he made during the 2020 presidential campaign. The president has challenged Republicans to release their own proposals and to negotiate over those plans. Republicans are threatening not to raise the U.S. debt limit unless Biden agrees to sharp spending cuts. Biden made the remarks yesterday in Virginia Beach, Virginia. He was at an event focused on government health care programs under Medicaid and the Affordable Care Act. Biden has vowed to strengthen support for those and other federal programs. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot has lost her re-election bid. Votes tallied yesterday showed two of her rivals will be moving on to a runoff election in April. Paul Vallis secured the top spot with close to 35% of the vote. That's according to the Chicago Tribune, with around 90% of precincts reporting. Vallis is the former public schools chief in Chicago and Philadelphia. He ran unsuccessfully for Chicago mayor in 2019. Brandon Johnson took the second spot in the runoff race with just over 20% of the vote. Lightfoot had around 16%. Here's Lightfoot and Johnson after the after the results yesterday. We were fierce competitors in these last few months, um, but I will be rooting and praying for our next mayor to deliver uh, for the people of the city for years to come. If tonight is proof of anything, it's proof that anything is possible, Chicago, that we can build a Chicago as big and as generous as our promises, that City Hall can truly belong to the people, I can't do this by myself, y'all. Are y'all with me? We can build a better, stronger, safer Chicago, and tonight is just the beginning. Lightfoot was looking to serve a second four-year term. She campaigned in 2019 on ending corruption, but her handling of the pandemic, protests, a teacher's strike, and spike in crime 
took away her popular support. Chicago had over 800 murders in 2021, the most in a quarter century. The murder rate dropped 14 percent in 2022, but was still around 40 percent higher than in 2019. And Lightfoot claims that the 2022 drop in murders and shootings shows her strategies like hiring more police were working. Polls show public safety is by far the top concern for Chicago residents. Los Angeles County will pay Kobe Bryant's wife nearly $29 million. Bryant filed a lawsuit over graphic photos of Kobe and his 13-year-old daughter being shared by officers. Vanessa Bryant alleged invasion of privacy in her lawsuit. She accused members of the L.A. County Sheriff's and Fire Departments of sharing images of the crash in unofficial settings, including to bar customers. Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and seven other people died in the crash in 2020. Bryant was 41 when he died. The Los Angeles Lakers great and 18-time All-Star won five NBA championships and was elected to the Hall of Fame in 2020. And blizzard warnings continue in California. Heavy snow has covered the mountains over the last few days. The back-to-back winter storms have left some residents in Southern California housebound since last week. In Nevada, the mountains are once again facing blizzard conditions. Some areas got three feet of snow in just 24 hours. In El Dorado County, people were walking through knee-deep snow, and many residents in the San Bernardino Mountains are stuck with snow that's up to their windows. Parts of Interstate 80 were shut down. Officers were responding to stuck motorists all day yesterday. And Yosemite National Park is also closed, with snow up to 15 feet deep, almost covering their doors. California is expecting a freeze warning today and tomorrow in the middle of the state. And coming up, some parents are outraged at a middle school in Maine. The reason is something a sixth grade student found. We hear from a concerned parent after the break. Welcome back. Some parents at a middle school in Maine are outraged. The reason is something one of its sixth grade students came across. Take a look. My back over my hips as I ask if we should take off, take our clothes off. And he's saying yes before I finish my sentence. He's pulling off my t-shirt, laughing when I can't undo his shirt buttons. He's undoing my belt. I'm reaching into his bedside drawer for a condom. We're kissing. Again, we're rolling over. Obviously, you can see where this is going. I don't know if it's because we're feeling especially emotional or just tired, or these past couple of weeks have been too much. But this reminds me so much of the first time we had sex. We were both terrified, and the whole thing was kind of terrible because we didn't know what we were doing. But it was good too, so good, because we were a mess of emotions, and we were scared and excited, and everything felt new. So this sort of thing, this sort of feels like that. Nick touches me like he's scared that any minute. Now this book was at my middle school and it was on a stand. When I rented it out to show my dad it, uh, the librarian asked if I wanted more and if I wanted a graphic novel version. Now that was 11-year-old Knox Zayak. That's from the school board meeting in Maine where he and his dad addressed the board about the sexually explicit book he found in his middle school library. The book he read from is called Nick and Charlie and is marked as 13 and up. Since then, this meeting has garnered quite a bit of attention. I spoke to his dad, Adam Zayak, to get his take on the whole situation. 
So he actually found this in his library. He was looking uh, for a book for his social studies class. And right in the main entrance on display was a new book, uh, Nick and Charlie. And it actually caught him off guard a little bit because he saw you know, two boys laying in bed together, cuddling, and he kind of turned his head a little bit. And the reason that he kind of noticed it was because uh, I'm dealing with my, my son in uh, high school with the book Gender Queer, and we've had a lot of discussions uh, about that at the house. And when my son saw this, it, it set off some, some bells in his head. And... Uh, he he rented it out with the librarian and and brought it home to show me. Um, it was pretty interesting because the librarian stated that she had other books, other graphic novels, if he wanted those as well. And when he mentioned that he was actually bringing it home to show his father, even through her mask, you could see how how red her face got. And uh, she got very uncomfortable and started stuttering, uh, asking, well, why are you showing that to your father? <laughs> so mm. it's scary because they know what they're doing. And it was obvious to see that they know that this book shouldn't be allowed in the middle school. So tell me more about the other book that you're dealing with. What kind of discussions are you having as a family there? Uh, well, Gender Queer is another book that I had picked up on that was in the high school, and it's got sexually explicit content uh, that definitely does not need to be in the age range that it is. The book even says it's 18 plus. There's actually a website link directly in the book for kink.com, which is a very graphic BDSM uh pornography website and it's really disturbing um, yeah that's an interesting find in a school so um, tell me more about what is your concern with that for your children well, it doesn't need to be in the school especially when it's taxpayer funded there's no reason that we should be offering sexually explicit books to our children there's no reason for it and you know the book had sexually explicit photos of a boy sucking sucking excuse my language uh and it's just it's not even anything that i'm uh comfortable discussing in open uh with a room full of adults it's it's mind-blowing what they're trying to bring into these schools and the precedent that they're, they're setting for children. And, you know, they're so moldable at this age that this should not be something that they deem as normal behavior. And did, how did Knox feel about all of this when he found it, when he showed you? Did he share any concerns? How do you feel about that? He was very uncomfortable. I mean, when he was at the school and he looked at the book, the first page was discussing these two young boys at 13 stealing their mother's wine and getting drunk. And uh, the, a couple of pages in from that, it was discussing these two at 
a pint, a party, high school party, I believe, and they discuss getting wasted and then meeting each other in the bathroom to hook up. What are we sending as a message to our children, to the next generation? What are we doing as a society? It's, it needs to get fixed. Now, that was just part of the talk I had with Adam Zayak yesterday, the tough talk I had. He also told me about the meeting he had with the school principal and the librarian that offered Knox more books and how the school board reacted that day. And you can find that, uh, the full version of that on NTD.com. So, Evelyn, this is developing. Is anything else being done? Right. Well, they're in conversation right now, and Adam said they will have a meeting at the middle school Wednesday evening. And he's just hoping that as many local parents as possible will come and speak their minds. And coming up, Nissan announces a recall on some of its vehicles. The car company says they may shut off in the middle of driving. Find out why. And if the fast pace of today, today's world has you in a tailspin, we may have something to help quiet your mind. That and more when we return. Nissan Rogue drivers need to be aware of an important factory recall just announced. The carmaker is recalling more than 700,000 Rogue and Rogue Sport compact SUVs. The reason is they can shut off accidentally while driving. The recall is for Nissan Rogues made between 2016 through 2020 and Rogue Sports made between 2017 through 2022. In the design, an internal joint in the key that can weaken over time may allow the key to fold accidentally while in use. If it's bumped while in the ignition, the vehicle can be accidentally turned off, which is dangerous if you happen to be on the road at the time. Nissan says it doesn't currently have a solution to the problem, but advises drivers to avoid attaching anything to the ignition key that might weigh it down. The car maker also says drivers should insert the key into the ignition in a direction that allows it to fold only upward. The company says it will begin alerting individual owners about the recall later in March. Stitching is no longer just a grandmother's activity. Since the pandemic, more and more young people are attracted to this meditative hobby. Let's take a look. Annie Zygman, a 25-year-old needlepoint designer, has witnessed the needlepoint demographic change completely since the COVID-19 pandemic. In the past, it is something you think of almost as your grandma's hobby and your grandma's activity. But today, since the pandemic, it's no longer just for your grandma. Zygmunt has seen a growing interest in stitching among younger generations. There are so many young people who started stitching during the pandemic and are continuing to do it today. I think it's even more popular than it was when the industry blew up during the height of the pandemic. After Zygmunt lost her Broadway acting job due to the pandemic, she took to Needlepoint to calm her anxiety. She was no stranger to the craft, however. The rhythmic process of stitching over patterns helped soothe her when she was recovering from a car accident a few years before the pandemic hit. Anne Goodman, the owner of Annie and Company, says the craft's sense of community has brought people together not just online, but in person as well. I think during the pandemic they were doing it by themselves and uh, at home and getting the benefits of the meditative part. But now that people can meet again in groups that they are 
being able to share their progress, learn from each other, and that sense of community of belonging to a group that, that shares common interest. Goodman now often hosts events and classes for young stitchers to cater to the demand. On a cold, rainy winter day, nine young women stitched together and enjoyed each other's company, some meeting for the first time in person. Stitch Club New York City is an Instagram group that meets at Annie and Company and other businesses a couple of times a month in person. Followers of the Needlepoint Club have grown from 1,000 in May 2020 to more than 2,000 in February 2023, all done without any advertisements or sponsored posts. Leanne Tucci, a 36-year-old organizer of the club, says Needlepoint helps her unwind. It's just really fun. We go and explore different shops each month. Um, and I, I just, I like it. It's nice. It gives me something to do, you know, when I get home from a long day at work. Instead of being on my phone all night, I sit, I watch TV, or I stitch, and it's just relaxing. Zygmunt says the craft is happening all over the United States. And while it's been around for ages, it's now being done in different styles to fit different generations and people. You know, Evelyn, it's kind of a win-win for those women. You get to relax and make something cool. Oh, yeah, that's true. I was just looking at all the products they made. They look amazing. Yeah, those are so intricate. <laughs> mm. We're ending the program here. Would love to hear from you as usual. You can share your thoughts and your story at goodmorning at ntd.com. Write us an email if you want. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.